Jack, Levi. The Book Club from Hell. Hello everyone, this is Jack with The Book Club from Hell, the special effects company best known for our pioneering work in faking the moon landings. Level is a documentary released in 2021 about how the Earth is flat. I first learned about Level when Frank Gardner, author of Call of the Crocodile, suggested it as a good way to understand more about flat Earth theory. It's a breathless, fast-paced, aggressive, and oftentimes antagonistic film, put together by Hibbler Productions and drawing upon many superstars in the flat Earth world, including Odd TV, Dave Murphy, Santos Bonacci, Tanner Stewart, Johnny GM Papa, Eddie Bravo, and Eric Dubay. Levi sat this episode out, and in his place we have the brave explorer of flat surfaces, Edward. So, get ready to find out why space doesn't exist, why NASA is deceiving everyone, why buoyancy might be the answer to all of your problems, the true nature of the moon, and the link between Disney and the Nazis. Enjoy. <laughs> so when, when you say you watched it again, like, because you didn't understand parts of the conspiracy, which, which parts of the conspiracy after that 18-hour break really made more sense? <laughs> um, uh, there was, I think, I think just like there's a, there's a, I mean, it's, it's a pretty obvious part of the conspiracy to get, but there's an obvious, there's a, there's a part where they really just like spell out precisely like the linear order of what they mean. So they're sort of like post-1945, Nazi traitors, Operation Paperclip, not President Eisenhower, um, NASA, Disney, mind control um and i might be missing another key term but there's sort of like there's a there's an association of ideas that, oh, that and, all and this was near point. the like, end oh, of the movie right. wasn't it yeah it's it's only the at the end because at, at the start i was thinking like the first time i was watching it i was thinking well i mean okay I, let's let's grant let's grant that the everyone's trying to deceive us about the you know spherical around earth, earth or whatever but what's the actual like what's the actual point of it because usually with the conspiracy they sort of a conspiracy film they hit you with the motivation much faster but the motivation mm. was never that apparent but like i gather it's about it was just it's just about mind control <laughs> and although they don't formulate it thusly i would assume that there's some connection between the glo- the globe heads and the globalists so mm, to speak mm. they they're big on um linking things etymologically and given that globalist <laughs> and globe head are both etymologically from the word globe, I would say that there is some sort of deep link between those two things. I I quite like that theory of yours. Yeah, I, I was just um I was just skimming through the messages that we'd sent each other um before, and you you had a quote that I still missed on the second time, which was I think at some point they establish a connection between. Werner von Braun and Walt Disney. Is it Werner von Braun? I think it's von the, Braun. Um, I don't. I don't speak yeah. that that accent of European. The 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 one they speak in Germany. So I'm not quite sure how to pronounce his name. Anyway, it's an extra. It's an extraordinary film. Um, in many respects. For context, um, for people I listening, just like Ed's watched as this much movie as anything, twice. The names. Yeah. Um. The names of the the cast members just I find very it's funny. Eric Debay. Santos Bonacci, Tanner Stewart, Eddie Bravo. I think my personal favourite, Johnny Jumpapa. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
Dave Murphy and DJ Odd TV. <laughs> that's, that's right. DJ Odd TV, was that his rap playing over the end credits? Yes. Um, not Yeah. The ends, I mean, it's extraordinary. I mean, he, not only does he do the entire musical score, so to speak, but he... Um, but he, at the end, there's a great um, song he does where he raps about everyone in the film yeah. and how, like, they all form part of the resistance. Some... And some of the self-descriptions of them are terrific, too. I mean, I think my my favourite description was <laughs> Santos Bonacci, and it says astrotheologist. Astrotheologist. I looked at his Twitter, and he also describes himself as an astrotheologist there. I really like those sort of... <laughs> those, those portmanteau words... You can you can come up with some absolutely fantastic things like astrotheologist. If theology is not enough for you, <laughs> if space which doesn't exist is not enough for you, then you can put the two together to have an astrotheologist. Uh, I mean, yeah, the only you could only really do slightly better if you went to astrotheosophist. <laughs> but I'm sure we'll get there. Astrotheosophy. There's probably someone else. Maybe there'll be a sequel. Actually, I yeah. have a feeling there is a sequel. Maybe that's where okay, we get well, into we the astro the- the- theosophy <laughs> rather than theology. <laughs> I uh, I only have the vaguest recollections of what theosophy is from a discussion of them by Saul Bellow and Humboldt's gift. Um, but it has something to do with Steiner schools. I know that. But anyway, ripe um, um, ripe fruit for um, plucking for the book club from hell. I think <laughs> if they haven't made the documentary, we can. Yeah, I think we we could form the Astro Theosophical School of Melbourne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, can you remind me how did you come across this film? <laughs> so we watched Level. When was Level pu- published? I don't remember. Twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. It's pretty recent. It um recent. Definitely had Current. some COVID references in there. So it, <laughs> it's. Fairly incongruous references to COVID. Uh, so it's it's recent. I came across it because on the Discord server for the book club from hell, Frank Gardner, the author of, among other books, The Call of the Crocodile, uh, give it a read if you're interested in horror, crocodiles, I, and Chicago. I haven't yet, but I will. He is a Buddhist flat earther, and he recommended this film and so naturally, I recommended it to Ed and then found out that Ed had watched it. So I watched it and then Ed watched it again. <laughs> yeah, I've watched it twice in 48 hours. Um, I don't think I'd watch it again. I think I've, I've mostly got it. I mean, no. It's a pretty tiring movie. It's only an hour long. Yeah, it's, long, very, it's but... very aggressive. It's, it's, it's quite aggressively didactic. Um, and it seems very, a, very unimpressed with the viewer. <laughs> it's didactic in the same sense that, you know how in a lot of rap, the rapper will threaten the listener? Uh, ostensibly the person that the rapper is desiring most to please, or get someone to actually listen to their music, how they repeatedly threaten that they're going to kill you, they're going to fuck your bitch. They get, like, they, they're just going to do a whole laundry list of unpleasant things to you. This movie is similar in tone in a lot of ways. It's a very aggressive movie to the viewer. It strikes me as the work of an aggrieved mind or collection of aggrieved minds. People who have been told that they're wrong so many times that they react with hostility 
not only to any questioning of their beliefs, but to any silence as well, to that potential space that the viewer occupies when they shot this film. It's just non-stop aggression. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's true. I mean, we did this. I mean, to take to take um like the cast members such as they are. There is there there. I mean, on IMDb, it gives me seven cast members, and that that's about mm, right. Mm. I don't remember anyone more. Like Eric Debay, the narrator. He's he's quite angry. Santos Bonacci's very <laughs> angry. very angry man. <laughs> is he Tanner the Australian Stewart, one? The self. Yeah, he's yeah. he's the um, he's the he's very the dark um, I guess Italian uh, origin I would say Australian guy who lives in Mexico. Oh, um, okay. And is an astrotheologist. Astrotheologist. Oh yeah, because it says like <laughs> it says I can't remember where it said it was. It was like Puerto something Mexico, and then it cuts to Santos Bonatti's <laughs> face and very rough Australian voice. Very rough Australian voice. He sounds pretty Queensland. It wouldn't surprise me if he's in Queensland. Yeah, he, I, I should do my research and yeah. check, but I, <laughs> I think he's. From well, Queensland. I mean, they, they might have they might have been misleading me if they said. I mean, he's probably from Queensland, but apparently he lives in Mexico, um, which is probably where you find good astrotheologists. But then again, there, there, I, I was I was actually impressed by the number of Australian and New Zealand accents that I heard in the film. Yeah, yeah, they seem to cluster around the antipodes, so to speak. <laughs> 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 One good thing about Santos as well is the the crystal clear audio quality that he recorded in. I'm not <laughs> sure what the fuck his microphone was. It sounded like he was recording in a blizzard while crumpling newspapers next to the microphone, <laughs> recording on a Nokia whatever the fuck from two thousand and one. But, but then again, that's often just what <clears throat> that's just often what his his Australian his accent sounds like a um, I don't know. A, some kind of blizzard anyway it's yeah it's very harsh to listen to <laughs> among a cast of aggressive high test go-getter high energy men he was perhaps the highest test the highest energy man <laughs> yeah. Yeah. santos Bonacci is very high energy yeah so i mean i guess we should introduce like the actual cast the whole cast mm, so mm. i'm to be honest, I don't know much about Eric Debay's um, background. I know nothing. Do you, do you know what Eric Debay does? I, I looked him up on Google. He's written a couple of books of um, um, globe scepticism or mm. round earth scepticism. Um, I can't remember. He wrote a book called Flat Atlantis, which I quite like the title of. It's a good title. Um, Not sure what it means. So you got but... Eric Debay. No. Like well, I mean, maybe, may, maybe the lost conception of the flat world. I don't know, mm. the, or the lost mm. flat world. Um, Atlantis so is an internal Debay. space. <laughs> yeah. So we've got Eric Debay, who's a narrator, and he's the one who's, for the course of an hour, just rants at you in a sort of oddly <laughs> level and not. I won't say affectless because he's quite angry, but this. I don't. It sounds like he's trying to mimic a like computer generated speech. Did it you get that impression? Was an oddly flattened affect. There was definitely a strong undercurrent of barely contained rage. But it was yep. it was like if Microsoft Sam had a drinking problem and it's <laughs> <laughs> just really <laughs> mad at the world. <laughs> yeah, he was Yeah, so okay, so there's Eric Debay. Um and he's I mean 
don't know. He he's the oh I want to use the word protagonist, but not protagonist. He's a narrator. He's he's the guy who is like I guess the leading intellectual of the flat Earth movement, mm, and the mm. whole film sort of leads up to an ultimate challenge which he levels at a particular public personality, which we'll get to. <laughs> so we've got Eric DeBay, we've got Santos Bonacci, who before we mentioned is a Australian-born, Mexico-dwelling mm. um, astro-theologist and musician, I think. Uh, who's we've got Tanner Stewart. Oh, the, that's Dave Murphy, Murphy mm. who it says was a former... Um, it said I think it just said something like former Wall Street computer programmer. <laughs> and something just else completely meaningless oh and fireman <laughs> fireman who's also a fireman okay it was like that's more wall street programmer and fireman so fireman yep so there's dave murphy he's he's a british guy then there's tanner stewart who's the 10 gallon hat wearing self-made millionaire with fancy cars and a penchant for uh, Star Trek and Star Wars, Star Wars analogies. Yeah, he was one of my. We've got Eddie Bravo. Yeah, um, Eddie Bravo. I don't think I got the impression that the clips of Eddie Bravo. He was like the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy who I gather is somewhat Joe Rogan adjacent, but I don't think he actually. It didn't seem like he had recorded anything original for the film. There just seemed to be mm. clips of him, unless I'm getting him wrong. Then there's Odd TV, who's the DJ who sort of opens up the film. He's probably the nicest personality. He's yeah, the least aggressive. Yeah. And then there's seemed, Johnny Jump. He seems Papa. the least likely. He seemed like the probably the only one of the cast that I would turn my back to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the other it. ones I would want to yeah, keep um, firmly within my field of vision. Well, if you go to well, I can't remember where he lives, but Johnny Jump Papa's a tattoo artist, so would you would you allow him to give you a tattoo? <laughs> Come near me with a tattoo gun. He did have the best call out of the. We we will hold off on naming the public intellectual who is the object of all of these people's ire until later in the episode to maintain some sort of narrative arc. But he had the best put down of him, where effectively he just called him fat. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this particular public intellectual who drew their eye was called a number of names, but um, <laughs> he was called a lot of called I mean, a I'm lot of things. Sure. I, mean, I would say he okay, was most <laughs> floridly described by um, uh, the Australian guy Santos Santos, Santos Badachi. Yeah. Santos I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. Like, Santos. I mean, this might just be my hopeful. My wishful thinking, but I'm pretty sure, like, I get the impression that he made an, an ethnic slur at him and they bleeped it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> they they bleeped out but, um, quite... So th- this is a... Um, well, it's not a family-friendly movie. There's There are expletives uttered. However, in the version that we watched, they were bleeped out. However, they also... They seem to bleep out blasphemous language, which is interesting. And given that at least, I think... Santos, at least, I'm not sure of the others, in part says that the globe theory of the Earth is adduced to justify atheism. So maybe bleeping yeah. out sacrilegious terms is to triplicate Santos's admittedly fiery temper. <laughs> but- yeah, that, that's, that's another thing that wasn't clear to me 
on the first viewing of the film because I got Santos Bonacci's um, very anti-clerical but also pro-specific type of astrological views. So I was mm. like trying to think like, wait, is this is this something that like the whole team that is sitting behind the whole team's belief? Because Santos Bonacci consistently uses the term Jesuit or Jesuitical. Actually, I don't think he can pronounce mm. Jesuitical, but he keeps no, using he Jes- Jesuit Jesuits. as an epithet. <laughs> yes. <laughs> not, um, a, not a fan of St. Francis of Loyola. I assume. No. <laughs> Go out on a limb and no, but... <laughs> say that. But I don't... But I... The, that thread was never fully explored, so I don't think that's an essential... Like, I wouldn't say confidently that the other members of the team, Mr. Stewart, Mr. Bravo, Mr. Murphy, Mr. Jump Papa, Mr. Odd TV, or Mr. DeBay, mm. I don't think any of them are necessarily, like, anti-Jesuitical or, or, or you know, pro-astrological. I don't know. I think we can that? safely say that this is a broad thoughts? church movement. At least... Yeah. 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 So Eric yeah. Debay <laughs> seems quite ecumenical in a... Well, maybe in a Catholic way. He's small C Catholic and uh, Santos yeah. is definitely it's not big C Catholic, but he's small C Catholic in that he'll accept a broad range of views as to why globeheads are wrong. Well, it, take, it, it takes and all I kinds think, to make a flat earth, as they say. Yeah. Yeah. One aspect of this documentary that really struck me was the breathless pace of it. It made me realise that there Mm. is a real art to pacing a documentary film, that the viewer needs to be given time to process the information that they were shown. Whereas in many ways, this film was structured much more like a music video. In that when when you watch a music video, you accept that for three minutes, or in my case, when I have my 16-hour marathons of watching Better Off Alone by Alice DJ on repeat, you accept that <laughs> there's not much breathing space to be had because it's a song. It's, it's very, very limited in terms of how long it goes for. But in the case of a documentary, and also I guess with a song, you're not trying to learn concrete facts or a new worldview. You're being taken up in the emotion of it. Hence the... Mm the style of a music video of just continuous flashing lights and continuous motion. (laughs) This film, it's only an hour long, so by documentary standards, it's fairly short. But it's much more in the style of a music video. Oh, that's what I felt it was most reminiscent of. It's just nonstop. It just, it starts and it's going at 100 k's an hour and it continues at... Not even at 100 k's an hour. It just keeps accelerating from there <laughs> until, until the end credits. It's quite yeah, an assault um, on the senses. I wa- yeah, so the first time I watched it, I watched it on Sunday. And um, initially I thought it was an hour, an hour and a half. So I was maybe this was why I had to take a pause half an hour in. But mm. after watching half an hour, I felt like I'd watched a lot more than I had. Yeah. And I, and I was just like, I just need to take a break from this because this is just like cramming my senses a little bit much. But then like <laughs> last night when I rewatched it and I digested it, I was like, oh, okay, this is actually pretty, mm. actually pretty short. But the first time I went through it, I was like, wow, I've, I've traveled a lot of territory. I haven't traveled it very well. <laughs> And I'm very confused. <laughs> yeah, it's a very high stimulation movie. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I think your point about the music, the, the music video analogy is good because, yeah, 
like you know you in a music video you sort of allow your emotions to get, sort of get taken up with you but there's there's the promise that it will stop you know mm. in within like four to ten minutes <laughs> but with <laughs> it's not with this, i think after half an hour i was like okay that's that's enough of that because there's always music on in the background yeah, as well yeah there are always um like, odd tv's beats i forgot until you brought up Again, that Odd TV had actually produced the music for this. I thought that all all the music, most of the music sounds like kind of 2009-era public domain trap beats that you'd, <laughs> you'd download off the internet. <laughs> but, okay, so Odd TV made those. I, I just assumed it was all like public domain beats. <clears throat> oh, no, I mean, I know it said at the end that like Odd TV was... Maybe it wasn't responsible for creating a score. He definitely put together the music, whatever okay. that means. Okay. So I'm not sure if we can. I'm not sure if it was all odd, t- no, odd was, TV originals. I mean, he was the downloader in chief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, one of the one of the problems that I had with the film was, and be- one of the many reasons I watch it again, is because <laughs> um, I. <laughs> it wasn't like. And this goes to your point about it being like a, a music video of associations, was that I couldn't really put the narrative arc together. I mean, a lot of arguments were thrown at me very fast, but I I couldn't put them in much of an order, and I still can't really. But like, is did you get the impression that there was like a, you know, um, a, a building case and a climax, or did you also get the impression of just a bunch of shit set at you? I felt like that rather than offering any conclusions, and I'm sure I'll be called an idiot globehead for this, rather than any firm, firm conclusions, this really is just a maze of intimation. Mm. <laughs> Intimations pursued. And when I say intimation, so they do offer firm proofs as to why the Earth is a, a flat plane, it's not... It's not curved. And I've got some fantastic quotes. And I'm sure you've got similar quotes to the ones I wrote down because you messaged me with these quotes. But Okay. Well, I'll rely on you for getting out the quotes because I didn't... I've, I've written them down in any particular order. So, <laughs> But I did watch it twice. <laughs> I do, my notes are pretty light on this film. I just, I just took down quotes. So they'll, they'll offer experiments okay. demonstrating why the Earth is a flat plane, and we can go over some of these experiments later. But when it comes to what I'm more interested in, which is why... Uh, specifically, why is NASA, which is owned by the same people who own Disney, <laughs> convincing us that the Earth is round, or that the Earth is roughly spherical rather than flat... And that's where you get lost in that web of intimations. They'll intimate, oh, well, did you know that the people who own NASA also own Disney? And, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's an intimation, and I'm actually not quite sure what it's <clears throat> intimating. All I know is that Disney's a large corporation. It attracts the ire of a certain type of person who is probably more likely than the population average to be a flat earther. <sighs> concentrated wealth makes people feel quite conspiratorial. I'm not quite sure what it's concretely hinting at, but I understand the feeling behind it. 
Yeah, I would agree with that because I think I sent you a message on the first watching and I think I said something like, an assertion was just made that the same people who run NASA run Disney. And, okay, mm, I mean, mm. first of all, I mean, part of me wanted to check and like, wait, what? Like, is that, I just like, didn't bother. Is that, does that have any... Does that have any basis in fact? I'm like, oh, but but even not, but notwithstanding whether or not it had any basis in fact, it didn't even have a basis in a conspiracy theory that I had a pre-existing relationship with. Like, I'm not sure about you, but I just don't. Disney doesn't really fall into my um, orbit of uh, like conspiracy theory terms. Like, it's not like UN, Rockefeller, Kissinger, Rothschild, um, mm, mm. UN twenty thirty. Uh, I don't know, consent. I don't, there's, there's all these just like symptoms that hang together for me. But Disney, I mean, I, I think maybe I've heard of like some Walt Disney conspiracy theories, but but Disney itself, like that doesn't that doesn't pop up much to me as a as part of the great conspiratorial web. Did it for you? Not really. I mean, I guess the furthest in this direction I can go is that there is a vocal group on corners of the internet which claims that Disney is trying to make men into pussified femboys, low-test soy boys, by pumping out <laughs> Star Wars sequels which, which emasculate all of the male characters. Uh, like, I'm, I'm, I'm really scraping the bottom of the barrel. That's the closest to a Disney conspiracy that I've come across. And that's yeah, that's not really related to the f- f- flat Earth theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But because, I, I don't really have anything. But also, I mean, I saw on the second viewing as well. Like, like I was disappointed the first time that I didn't see some particular conspiracy theory names, but then I did actually see it. The name Rockefeller was used at one point. I don't think it was used. Was it? Was it? Fla- it? it flashed. It, it flashed on a newspaper on the screen. Some <laughs> kind of flashed. assertion was made. <laughs> Some kind of assertion was made about like the history of mind control and um, money making and big capital. Then, like a newspaper mm. came onto the screen and said something about John D. Rockefeller. And like, I'm like this ah, is what I mean. There, there it is. How it's it's this tangle of intimations, but <clears throat> much of the time you're never given any sort of payoff. Similarly, how. At one point, they're talking about how, I think it's in the context of all images of the Earth from space, and I I say space in inverted (laughs) commas, are computer-generated images. And they had a picture of a clearly fake image of the Earth with with what looked like a SARS-CoV-2 Virion floating across the front of it. Okay, that's what you meant. I'm not quite sure... What they're trying to say here, I only I understand the feeling behind it, but not anything that I could really verbalize. That's interesting because the timing of the film, it would make sense that it would have a mm, that COVID mm. would be um, wrapped up. But I actually didn't notice anything about COVID when I watched it. But um, obviously, I didn't. It's a multi-layered watch film. hard enough <laughs> for those who have eyes to see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I think we. But how, how do we? How do we make progress on the discussion of this film? Okay, like because there's no like real beginning, middle, and end. I would say the last fifteen minutes does it ramps up to a little bit more mm. of a climax, and you can yeah. su- you can sort of feel the threads coming together. But 
I mean, it, the film opens... Um, I'm just not even sure in what order to put the parts of the conspiracy and then the actual scientific proofs. I think I think I think it's fair to say that the conspiracy is more just as you say it's a tangled web. It's more of like a syndrome of like associations. It's mm, not like yes, but it's very hard to draw. At least the film doesn't make much of an effort to sort of lay out in a logical order or even much of a narrative order the steps in the conspiracy. It sort of flips back and forth between a number of proofs and then a number of assertions and then behind them a number of feelings or associations <clears throat> um so where where how does how does the film even open before film opens that with, i would like to make some I think more dj on tv about the film one yeah. thing that one <laughs> thing in this film that i i did enjoy is the voiceover so we've already mentioned the oddly mm. flat delivery of the lines i also want to give a shout out i'm assuming it's also eric debay but quite regularly, there'll be a, it sounds pitch shifted, a really low voice saying oh, yeah. something in the yeah. background. Normally, either backing up what the normal narration has been saying or just belittling the viewer. <laughs> yeah, they'll say something like, like calling the viewer Eric DeBay will say, Eric DeBay will say something like, Do you really believe that? Then he'll go up, Do you really believe that? <laughs> 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 or, they'll, yeah, or they'll have you. Yeah, they'll ask a pilot a question, or not even. Oh, yeah. So they'll they don't even ask a pilot a question. They'll just say something vaguely about, "Did you see curvature up there?" And he says something like, "Nope, it's all flat." And then the voice in the background will go, "All flat, all flat, all flat, all flat." <laughs> it's it's a, a very non-stop sensory assault. one thing i I would also further like to ask so one thing i find interesting is that as far as i can tell one of the reasons adduced as to why or one of the reasons offered as to why we are being convinced by nasa and capital t them the pinchonian them as to why the Earth is a globe and not flat is for entertainment purposes. I think um, Cowboy Hat Man, the one who has a boat, a lake, mm. and a nice car. I forgot his name. Tanner More than something. one nice car, I think. Tanner Stewart. <laughs> Tanner Stewart. He said that you want to put a Hollywood spin on things, you want to make it exciting for people to get them entertained. Fundamentally, though, I don't know why you need a spherical Earth to entertain people. What entertainment does a spherical Earth provide that is not provided by a flat Earth? It's a, it, like, it, it's, it's a stupid question, but I'm not actually sure what, what, is, in, what is intrinsically more entertaining in a sphere yeah. than a, a flat I mean, plane. To put a nor- normy and ungenerous interpretation on... On it, it might. I sort of get the impression that they've transferred their internet fights and debates into sort of like a macro cosmic sort of explanation where they, like, they're, they're, it's like the whole, the whole round earth thing is like a really high level troll. And so, like, they're actually like taking mm. on a massive troll, but they know mm. the truth. Mm. 
like because like it's very it's very personal but yeah there's there's no real yeah that there's no real reason like why the flat earth can sorry why the round globe earth conspiracy in particular like it seems like a it's very precise and oh okay maybe put it this way if if someone can convince you of something so like so consciously or so conspicuously against common sense like the idea that the earth is like round or spherical if they can convince you of like that ultimate untruth then mm. your mind mm. is completely corrupted and you're completely subservient so that makes sense okay yeah, we could go with that and that that dovetails into another <laughs> broader question i had in that many of their arguments seem to be predicated on this profound skepticism this cartesian skepticism where they they basically say okay we can't trust anything so images allegedly from space of the globe well have you been there how do you know those weren't faked or from astronauts yeah. who claim to have seen the yeah. earth well how do you know they're not paid actors which apparently the mo- the people who've landed on the moon <laughs> landed on the moon are all paid actors <laughs> or soldiers yeah. or something So they apply this profound scepticism to all those claims. But then as soon as you move into the realm of the flat earth theory, they become profoundly credulous. So when they say, well, the reason why the reason why all of the water doesn't fall off the flat earth is because there's an ice wall around it. And (laughs) if why why don't I just apply the same profound scepticism to the gigantic ice wall that no one's seen? That they apply oh, to no, everything that's not flat Earth. It's I, I don't quite understand what determ. Well, sort of ungenerously, I think I do understand what turns on and off the the Cartesian skepticism. But I think that's a reasonable <laughs> thing to ask. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think yeah. Th- th- oh, that's because that's another term that I missed out earlier. Um, Antarctica. Um, Antarctica comes up a lot because like Antarctica comes up around the time of um, and I don't know when all these things were actually created but like in in quick succession they they say things like President Eisenhower, Nazi traitors um, NASA, Antarctica um, Disney um, and I think there was some reference to I don't know the last not obviously not the last person who's been but like there was some reference to like some 1958 exploration of Antarctica and none of the videos or clips substantiate at this point. There was just a guy talking about what it was like to go to Antarctica. But I think yeah. the implication was that um, after they got there, they ha- they suddenly signed a bunch of treaties that would prevent people from going there again and then created NASA. So like once people got to Antarctica, maybe, um, and saw that, you know, oh, shit, this could undo um, the conception of the spherical Earth. Then they came back and a bunch of 12 UN, UN nations or something signed a treaty and said, we're not going to go to Antarctica, Antarctica, except under very controlled circumstances. And then they started NASA to deceive us and Disney somewhere <laughs> in there. I um, wrote down some dates here. So 1955, <laughs> Operation Deep Freeze, a series of US missions to the Antarctic led by Admiral Byrd. So Admiral Byrd was the guy 
I think like this this video seemed it was at least the evidence that they offered in this film. They probably have additional evidence, but they didn't show it. Where he talks about how there's a landmass the size of North America in Antarctica. I'm not sure what the size of Antarctica is compared to North America, but yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of land there. I mean, I'm, and I assume that's yeah. what he was talking about. <laughs> then it was yeah. 1958, and I quote, all caps, NASA was created. Then President Eisenhower approves the mind control tool, US tax scam division of government, and accepts the plan of bringing Werner von Braun with Walt Disney to get the process started. And they said that this was a way to distract the public with a faked mission to the moon, or by convincing them that outer space exists. 1959, 12 nations create and sign the Antarctic Treaty, followed by 42 more nations. This treaty enforces that no person can explore, visit, or travel south of the 60th parallel, southern longitudes. As far as I'm aware, the Antarctic Treaty states that you can have no militarization of Antarctica, that no nation yeah, state right. owns Antarctica. In the movie, it's stated that you need military clearance to get past the 60th, 60th parallel. Uh, I guess this, this raises a philosophical point as to what degree you consider the military and a state's government to be one and the same. But this film doesn't really go into that. It just says that you need the military's approval of a government to pass the 60th parallel, which I don't think is in the Antarctic Treaty. It's your government. I'm glad that you said that because I'd actually forgotten what that treaty was. That rings a bell, though. Like, that kind of makes sense. I'm like, what What are they talking about? But, yeah, like a... Like a, a mutual pledge not to actually, um, um, no one can claim it as territory. That that rings a bell. But then again, it's probably just um, I've been I've been fake news for my entire life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so there are a few things that I reckon to be really worth going over. We can go a few over a few of the science experiments. I'd like to touch on gravity at some point because mm. they they're not big on. The theory of gravity. And I say the theory of gravity, emphasizing theory, because as we know, if something's the, a theory the as opposed to fact, hypothesis. any theory, a theory is <laughs> necessarily wrong. Because yeah, if you knew yeah, for sure, yeah. you wouldn't call it a theory, would you? No, no. If you had, if you, if you had the fact of density and buoyancy, why do you need a theory <laughs> of gravity? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You have to take the weight on this. There's the moon as well. Sorry, just going through. Oh, yeah. This is a really dense movie. There's just so much going on. This is absolute sensory and intellectual overload. The moon. It's like a. It's only actually. Yeah. So, did you. I'm not actually sure what they say the moon is. They talk about some scientist who claimed that the moon was actually some sort of ethereal substance or something like that. Yeah, on the second and viewing last night... Therefore, can't be cosmic really sure plasma, of... that's it. Professor R. Yeah, Foster. I... Yes. I think, there's a, I think there's some kind of astrological theory sitting behind this where the Earth... Because so sorry, the moon gives cold light, and the sun gives hot light, and somehow they balance each other out. Like I feel like there's some vaguely platonic sort mm. of conception mm. going on there, but there's not. 
other than they made a number of claims about the moon. They're like, well, you can see the stars through the moon and stuff like that. And there were a whole bunch of grainy images of proving that I don't even know what they're trying to prove. No, the moon, the moon bit didn't really make much sense to me. Like it's, it's, Again, it's the sun's compliment. It's there. There are a lot of intimations, but I'm never quite sure in which direction they're pointing. Yeah, because they had the thing yeah. about how the no, moon that, produces cold yeah. light, and they just had a picture of someone with, I assume, a thermometer, <laughs> like <laughs> taking different measurements in different places. And so, yep, mate, yeah. n equals one. <laughs> But the p-values are nice and small here. But I don't, I don't think they're big into that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I think they at there, one point There was the question the posed, the and I loved how it was posed, where um, if Neil Armstrong was the first man to step on the moon, what about the cameraman oh, yeah. who was filming? And then there's, there's this canned, high-pitched, hysterical laughter that they just keep playing under certain statements that they, they find funny. And it was played under this statement where they were saying, well, oh. who was there filming? Yeah, and then the ha-ha-ha. <laughs> <laughs> like that, that laughing sound effect is just played so much. And it's always the same sound effect. It's drilled into my consciousness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then, like, when they just get in a bunch of, like, um, YouTubers and they just take clips of them asking, like, provocative questions. Like, there's that kind of sexy-looking woman who's asking, like, who who is holding the camera. Mm, and mm. then, like, but but they're not proper cast members. There's just, like, I think it's, you know, part of this film, it's almost like it's it's a love letter to the other members of the Flat Earth community. It's like, yeah, it's like we're all in for? this together. I just think it's for them and sort of like, you know, because, I mean, it's a, it's a point that DJ Odd TV um, dwells on quite a bit. He, t- he tells, he's the only one that seems to express any um, emotion other than hatred and contempt, <laughs> but he, he expresses a lot of love for his fellow flat earthers. And I feel like they sort of get a whole bunch of people on YouTube. It's like, let's round up. It's almost like a um, uh, tribal consensus sort of version of proof like let's round up as mm, much people mm. as we, many people as we know who agree with us and then let's assault the viewer with their views and which is still not many many people i assume it's in some way a reflection of the value ethics of eric today <laughs> the aristotelian he might have taken it from the nicomachean ethics in that he's saying well we might not know what exactly virtue is but let us look at virtuous people and see what we can mm. learn from them. So they're collecting virtuous people. As uh, this is a deeply Aristotelian project, I, <laughs> I assume this was motivated by the Nicomachean ethics. There's no better explanation for the structure of this film than that. Yeah, all you need is a balloon, a balloon, a non-fisheye lens, so you can get your camera up there to take some non-distorted pics. The mm. Nicomachean mm. ethics, and then you. Good to bloody well go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And <laughs> I just came across a really good quote. So this is from Johnny GM Papa, a tattoo artist. He says he talks to a lot of people while he's tattooing, and they're beginning to wake up and understand the lies behind Globe Earth. They're they're no mm. no longer globe heads. Globehead is an is an insult that's thrown around quite a lot in this film. And one that I've already brought into my daily usage. I really like Globehead. But anyway, back to Johnny GM Papa. He says, 
If NASA was legit, literally all they would have to do is one thing. Take one of their satellites, zoom in on someone in Australia, upside down, driving a car. Or in the ocean, oh. swimming upside down. And, <laughs> and they, they superimpose like the, like, the, the clip of someone down. with a GoPro on a surfboard, like <laughs> splashing in the waves, and then it's upside down. See, okay, this is actually part of the film I had trouble with though as well, because when I watched it, I mean, obviously as a consequence of my um, round earth brainwashing, a lot of the things that they kept saying to me as like, use your senses, what you see is intuitively untrue, seemed mm. to me intuitively true, but I think that's just because, because I've been compromised. Was that your impression too? Like, I didn't quite get, but like they kept saying things that, like the narration would sort of imply that what you see before your eyes is is very obvious. Whereas I would think I would often think like, mm, no, that mm. I actually like I intuitively feel the obvious. But again, I'm not I'm just corrupted probably. I think it probably is a, a feature of the original sin of being brought up <laughs> in a globehead society. I do like yeah. there was one particular deep voiceover where I think I forget. I think it was the English guy was doing a science experiment, demonstrating the flat mm. Earth, and the deep voice underneath him just goes, "You can trust your senses." <laughs> yeah. Or your yeah. senses can be yeah. trusted. It said something to that effect. Yeah. The thing is, though, it's, like, it's when they you say you that, trust your then senses a on a short distance. Yeah, but a number of their experiments were based around the um, the angular resolution of the human eye. Which they say accounts for why things like ships apparently sink below the horizon, but they actually don't. Or the mm. sun. Yeah. Because in that case, then your senses can't be trusted. Mm. But if you, look, it's not this. I took this film more as a collage of strong emotions rather than a definitive statement of fact. Yeah. It, it, it also, it, it must be said that, like, I'm not someone who has any real scientific education beyond how I was propagandized at an Australian private mm, high mm. school, I guess. So, um, I mean, like, it's not as if, like, if 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 um, Santos Bonacci, um, Dave Murphy, Johnny Jump, Papa, Eric DeBay just sort of came at me. It's not as if I could say, like, well, I know more about the eyeball than you. I can prove the theory of heliocentricity or even give a very coherent theoretical account of it. So, I mean, like, uh, I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, maybe part of the, the educational value of it is like, oh, maybe, maybe I should go and understand how this actually works. At the same time, it's not very high on my priority I list. like that view, and I and, do um, think their scepticism um, in that is something that's hard to argue with. However, as I yeah. said earlier, that same scepticism is very selectively applied. It never extends to there is an ice wall surrounding what we think of as the earth <laughs> and beyond that is this is, is significantly more land rich in natural resources that they are trying to stop you from learning about yeah and i was about to make a criticism which i now realize under the terms of their own um, argument is an invalid criticism but i was going to say like what i found unsatisfying is like they never give me like a real theory of like the movement of like like where like the flat earth and the movement of the sun and the moon like it's never really like put together in a nice diagram but 
that is a very dubious overextension of the human imagination. Um, where, but whereas they're just looking for hard facts, so they constantly make reference to the research that's been done on the sun, and the research being done with like handheld cameras and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. But like, I think that's part of what I had trouble with. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of attacking from various angles of like the the round earth theory and heliocentricity and all that. But like, they never at, at any point came and spelled out what like the flat earth theory is. But they don't have a theory; they just have facts. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly. One thing I also liked was them talking about gravity versus buoyancy. So they're not. <laughs> They're not big on buoyancy. I mean, buoyancy. I mean, gravity. They like buoyancy a lot. Basically, yeah, they say they like that. Buoyancy. Yeah, if the Earth were a spinning globe, why wouldn't all the water fly off? Oh, and yeah, they prevent you from favorites. saying gravity by basic by basically saying that gravity isn't real, so you don't have recourse to gravity. And then they say, actually, you don't even need gravity. Because if Isaac Newton weren't such a dumbass, then he would have realised that apples fall to the ground because they're denser than air. They're denser than their surrounding medium, therefore they fall. Similarly, when you have a boat in water, if a boat displaces a greater weight of water than it weighs, then it will float on the water, as according to buoyancy. The thing is, actually, without gravity... Buoyancy doesn't really behave that way. So suppose you're in a microgravity environment and you have a body of water there and you place a denser object within the body of water, like an apple. The apple's not going to float to the top because there's no, there's no gravity. Well, like in microgravity, there is gravity, but there's not gravity acting on it in the same way that there might be gravity acting on it if it were on Earth. It act, like the buoyancy thing doesn't, make sense um yes well there's also that great there's that great um uh i guess not i was gonna say counter theory maybe it's a counterfactual i don't really care um where they they get isaac newton dropping the apple into a puddle (laughs) he's like if if newton had dropped the apple not onto hard ground but into a puddle he would have had his mind blown because the apple would have floated (laughs) And then, like, there's, like, that puppet of Isaac Newton or, or like, something. (laughs) The symbolism in this film is quite profound. How on at least one occasion when they're talking about globe heads, they will have a picture of a marionette doll on screen. It's like, ah, I see what you're getting at here. No, but I think that this whole thing about gravity is probably motivated by their deep appreciation of Aristotle given that I believe it was Aristotle who said things like, a rock falls to the earth for it is in the nature of the rock to fall to the earth. <laughs> I, this, is, this is really the Nicomachean Ethics 2021. <laughs> <laughs> Aristotle's it's, physics. It's, it's, it's the most generous interpretation I can give. It's a modern yeah. retelling of one of the masters. Yeah, I think part part of the part of the part of the conceptual confusion, or rather, my globe-headed inability to understand the film, is is it seems like an internal like you've walked in halfway to like 
a very aggressive internal or inter Nissan argument that's been going on for a while. Like there's 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 one point at which Santos Bonacci takes extreme issue with the granddaughter of President Eisenhower. Oh, and that, that the starts making a lot of yeah, and and she turns out to be an astrologer too, who claims that she was invited to go to Mars. And then my impression, just from what he said, is I sort of got the impression that they're both astrologers, but her astrology is predicated on heliocentricity and perhaps, by implication, atheism, um, which mm, is also mm. oddly tied to being a Jesuit. Um, but like, <laughs> he, like, like that whole bit, <laughs> <laughs> that whole that whole bit, I was just like, I feel like that's like. Um, an extreme example of what the film was like in general. We like, wait, there's there's so many of this like priors that I'm missing here. Mm, and you just mm. walk in and you're like and, and that's part of the thing. I didn't know when I was first watching it, I'm like, wait, are they all astrologists? Or is it just I think it's just Bonacci. But yeah, anyway, I just want to say that. <laughs> I agree. It does feel like you need to be a member of the choir to really understand this sermon. And as I'm not I'd <laughs> I was just sort of confused for a lot of it. It feels like walking in on a family argument. Yep. Sort of in medias yep. res, very heated, and you, it's a lot of strong emotions and not much context. Here's a good <laughs> Santos Bonacci quote. He says, The upside-down spinning Santa ball, which the Jesuits invented in 1542, <laughs> as an aside, he's referring to the earth, Prior to 1542, every single culture, all our intelligent ancestors, would be rolling in their graves knowing that their stupid progeny actually think they live on a spinning globe that people bow down to their false ideology. And this this is when there was the picture of the Earth with a uh, SARS-CoV-2 viral particle drifting over the face <laughs> of the waters. Oh, it's right. beautiful. Okay. <laughs> you just, sorry, I mean, like... Uh, I think the highest recommendation we can make of this film is that it's it just got a lot of really splendid images. So um, as you were saying, mm, uh, it just, you reminded me of that great, like there's a clip of like them saying like, you know, if um, if the earth was spinning so fast, how, how come the water's not flying off the earth? And then there's like a picture of someone with a hose hosing the bottom of like a... <laughs> gym ball oh, like right. a, a right. like and it's like spinning like and like the water's falling to the ground like well it's not sticking is it <laughs> anyway um yeah no that was just a good image the more i talk about it the more i think i i would recommend this movie it's also free on youtube so you know, what are you gonna lose an hour of your life it's, it's all right <laughs> i also liked the arguments the uh the linguistic arguments because you notice the word mm. horizon is i assume from a similar route to the word horizontal, sea level, because the sea yeah, yeah. is level. Exactly right, yes. Here's a curve. That's why we have sea level. Uh, I said, here's a curve. Here's a quote. Here's why we have sea level, because the sea is level. It's not curvy. You cannot call it sea level. You'd call it sea curve. That's why we have tectonic <laughs> plates and not tectonic bowls, because Tonic those bowls. tectonic plates are just that, flat plates. I know this is not going to convince anyone, but the plates I eat from are many of the plates I eat from actually are slightly curved, but that's an... Yeah, a, a flat an plate would not be very useful. Like, it just no. <laughs> food's going everywhere. <laughs> but, 
But the thing is, like, the, the, earth, the earth isn't flat either because it needs the ice wall to hold in the water. Because well, I, was talking I, I, my, I don't think I they're talk- saying there's no there's no topology to the Earth. Um, I think no, they're no, more no, saying no, it's true. yeah there's a there's a flat base. <laughs> yeah, upon no, which no, so that makes sense actually. The, topology, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, I take that back. So, so the analogy <laughs> of the plate is perhaps is perhaps correct. So, like you know, if you have like a you have a flat plate and you got yeah, you still got a if you have a wall around your plate, you'll keep your dinner and the Earth's water in. There we are. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> I would also like to add, I just remembered that whenever they have pictures or videos of globe heads, they have this one cl- image of a clown's face that they superimpose over the, the globe head's face. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, just to make the symbolism. It's complex symbolism, but as far as I can divine, they're calling people who believe in a spherical earth clowns. And by implication... They're to be laughed at. Yeah, yeah. Where, one thing I don't think that is explored, and it's part of what gives this film the experience of, as you say, walking in midway to a um, family argument that's been going on to some time, for some time, is the fact that, or is that they never, they never really deep dive into where the spurious um, spherical round earth theory came from. Like it's sort of there's a lot of a lot of macro development is predicated on mm. a lot of micro development in the in 1950s, but they don't really go that far beyond that, do they? And it's also heliocentrism was present before the 1950s. Yeah, that's I mean that's my impression too. But <laughs> maybe or maybe maybe because I think at some stage it was said that NASA quite recently in the 20th century changed our textbooks and given that australia is also administered to by nasa i assume that our textbooks are were were also changed (laughs) okay yeah that makes sense that makes sense there's a lot of (laughs) (laughs) because like yeah that 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 sort of yeah they changed our textbooks that that would make sense I mean, I'm only going off what I read in my textbooks, I guess. Yeah. And what everybody else um, who's been fooled read in their textbooks too. Me too. I'm, but, I'm highly overeducated, so I'm probably the last person you would listen to. <laughs> that means you're, you're just the most brainwashed, <laughs> the more educated you are. Like, oh, which just, you just now you just remind me of great things that were said in the film at the end of it where Dave Murphy starts... Well, we can probably introduce the fact that one of the greatest antagonists in the film is, um, especially towards the end, the science popular writer Neil deGrasse Tyson. And um, they really hate him. But at one point, Dave Murphy says, what is, what is Neil deGrasse Tyson? He's just, a, he's just a, a writer or something with a few science degrees. I know guys who are with a few science degrees who are flipping burgers and Burger King. So you don't impress me, Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, yep, a Bachelor of Science won't confer upon you a high-paying job immediately. But that's all several science degrees. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the guy that was. Yeah, he he is. I'm I'm pretty, yeah. I'm like, okay, so we should probably probably discuss Neil deGrasse Tyson because he's. They use a lot of clips of him in the film, and I think he's their number one internet antagonist i think i mean i don't yeah. follow 
I don't know much about Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm vaguely aware that he's a physicist. He kind of strikes me as a, you know, one of those jerkish um, popular science writers that doesn't like, not that he hasn't, I'm sure he's done legitimate work, but sort of like Richard Dawkins, someone who is, spends as much time trying to antagonize people who don't agree with him as trying to educate people. Now that might be unfair, but that's my just, that was the impression I had of Neil deGrasse Tyson before I went into this film. But I think just because of a number of, a, a few comments he seems to have made on the Joe Rogan podcast or something like that, he has become maybe the number one enemy of at least this coterie of flat earthers. Yeah, admittedly, I know a little about him too because I, as a general rule, avoid that sort of popular science writer because they tend to be smug and irritating and I actually have an Mm, easier time reading Evola or some weird shit for the podcast because... Yeah, I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I, I know little about him, but at least from the clips they played of him, and these clips were, I'm assuming, selected to be as unflattering as possible. He was seeming yeah. quite irritated with flat Earth people constantly asking him for debates and interviews and things like that. And <laughs> in this guy's defence, it probably is really fucking annoying to have Eric Debay show up fucking wherever you go and start shouting at you about uh, about his latest science experiment proving that you're a fraud who's being paid by NASA and by capital T them to turn us all into mm. globe heads so that NASA can keep taking money from the American government. Somehow the Russian Space Agency, for example, is also in on this, even though they probably don't get much money from the US government. I just, yeah, that's right. Like, the guy is probably really irritated. <laughs> I'm assuming he has very little goodwill left for these people. So I don't yeah. really hold yeah. that against him. I mean, him. you just remind me of something that's completely unexplored, which is like the whole world of geopolitics outside of like, like because there are times at which it seems like like the Russians and the US are just sort of lumped into one, but I guess mm. um, in the 1950s the, they weren't the, on the best terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also, but also, there is a. I think there's a song that plays more than once during the um, course of the documentary, which makes sense of this because it's like the whole world's a stage and they're all actors. So I guess the Cold War is probably something that was just staged for our amusement. Mm. Yeah, but with Neil, to go back to Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, I, I sort of got the impression that he wasn't necessarily, he was clearly the one that antagonized them. And he's clearly like the spokesman for the current, uh, I don't know, he's like the main, I guess, NASA adjacent spokesman for them. But I didn't get the impression that he was central to the conspiracy. He was more like he was just... Um, the current face of an ongoing conspiracy. Yeah, it's sort of weird. Like they pay a lot of emotional attention to him. Yeah, (laughs) the head of the Hydra that Eric Debay will slice off, (laughs) cauterize. Modern day Heracles. He he is an MMA expert, as as he was introduced in the film. Yeah, he is. Yeah, I. in. and. Eric Debay's yeah, it's it, there's a lot of professions that seem to not 
well, professions. There's musician, um, MMA expert, and uh, astrology seem to hang together in some kind of mm. syndromic mm. syndromic relation. Um, <laughs> it's interesting multi-classing. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then also the world of tattoo artistry with Johnny Jump Papa. Um, yeah. Well, I, I still the, can't get the artistry and musicianship are from the same creative wellspring. So we, we can oh, that's see true. how those that's go. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I did yeah. really enjoy, again, in terms of symbolism, is a deeply symbolic film, is that when Eric Debay was challenging Neil deGrasse Tyson to just come and debate him, there was a video playing of Eric Debay choking someone out. <laughs> was that? Was yes. it really? Yeah, I really oh. liked that. <laughs> How did I miss that? <laughs> There's, just, there's cra- so much going case. on in this movie. You could watch this movie in, ten times and find something new each time. In that case, I really understand why he doesn't want to go near Eric DeBay. Like, imagine having conspiratorial MMA fighter threatening to kill you. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in the same room with him. <laughs> what about the bit where they take a bunch of um, pictures of what I assume are either textbooks or... Uh, probably published materials or something like that from NASA. Oh, no, they have a flight manual, a flight uh, manual which lists yep. simplifying assumptions for describing flight dynamics with a series of equations. <laughs> and the two top ones are there is a flat Earth, in brackets, the Earth's curvature is zero, and there is a non-rotating yep. Earth, in brackets, no Coriolis accelerations and such are present. And when I saw this, okay. uh, this is the thing, again, It, I'm sure they will say, well, you've been to university, which means your mind's corrupted, but... I'm not good at physics, but I did do a semester of physics because I had to to get into medicine. And pussy, it's actually <laughs> globehead. It's globehead. it's really common in physics or when describing a physical system in this way to have these simplifying assumptions, as the as these are explicitly stated to be. The one that people will often joke about is you know assume a perfectly spherical chicken for calculating the volume of a chicken it's a simplifying (laughs) assumption it's understood that you will lose some resolution with your answer but the amount the amount that the, the assumption deviates from whatever external reality there is is calibrated to how precise these measurements or predictions need to be it's also in this list of of um, simplifying assumptions for flight dynamics, with the there is an on-rotating Earth, it says no Coriolis accelerations and such are present. It's it's even saying that, yes, we acknowledge that Coriolis accelerations exist, but mm-hmm. we're just not going to factor them in to this particular set of equations. It just felt like yep. someone who'd never done even high school physics looking at physics equations and going, aha! Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or it looks like, I mean, to me, I mean, someone who has no education in this sort of stuff, I mean, I, I sort of, I mean, okay. Let's say that I was presented with a, I don't know, 42 page NASA report. That was a bunch, that had a bunch of things, a bunch of equations, a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, hypothetical assumptions, scenarios, blah, blah, blah. You know, if I were to read that thing, I would probably be lacking a lot of context to understand it in the first place. 
But where you get even less context is when you have so many of these reports flashing across the screen with the simple words flat earth <laughs> circled. And you're just like flat earth, flat earth, flat earth, flat earth, flat earth, flat earth. Like it appears in so many documents. <laughs> it must be true. Like I feel like they've just command F or control F um, flat earth or non-rotating. Yeah, and, like, and I actually stopped I, I, in a few places to look at them, and they're explicitly yeah. stated to be simplifying assumptions. That was, I mean, my assumption was that was probably what they were, but I'm glad that you stopped it. <laughs> yeah, I, I just assume that the filmmakers don't know what simplifying assumptions are and that they're really, really common. Well, it's even, yeah, like in a, a high school physics exam, when you're talking about the rate at which two objects might fall to Earth, you say something like, oh, assume no wind resistance. It's like, yes, we mm. know that wind resistance exists, but in the context of these equations, we don't really need to consider it. Yeah, it's I mean, sort of. But, it's the equivalent but, of someone reading a book upside down and then saying, "Oh, well, this is terrible because I don't understand it." And it's like, yeah, but you don't actually understand what you're doing. <laughs> they've got better arguments in this in this documentary, like just the radical doubt. How how do you know that the Earth is spherical? How do you know that the pictures taken from outer space are real? That to me is a much more compelling argument than just misunderstanding a bunch of equations in a textbook well well okay in the, in their defense and i think we can reconcile those two points of view because um they don't make assumptions they only deal in facts to get into the world of assumption is to get into the <laughs> world of theory and they don't do that so so yeah of course they don't make assumptions because as i'm not sure if this is an australian expression or not but um you know never assume because it makes an ass of you and me <laughs> <laughs> um, at the very least but no, Santos, Santos Benacci will be well acquainted with that one he would yeah he'd, he'd, he'd get it I mean he gets it in a lot of ways but yeah, yeah he, he's he's oh. currently getting it he will get yeah. it he probably got it in the past he's a man, man yeah. for all seasons uh, Santos yeah yeah but yeah if you don't make any assumptions about yeah anything I think that's a way to reconcile it so I mean, they're not going to deal. Mm. Let's say, let's say that they they probably read through all the NASA and CIA documents. They knew about your sort of you know um, no um, you know assumed scenarios and like, but we don't make assumptions and we just don't do that. We deal in facts. We deal with what is before our senses. We deal in what is, what can be captured using a normal Nokia camera and not a fisheye lens. You know, they just it's straight up legit. It's just straight science. Is what Francis Bacon wanted. <laughs> Francis Bacon. <laughs> okay. Um, is the real shit. <laughs> okay. What else? What else what do we else need we, to talk about? They've got that bit about satellites, where again it was just. Oh yeah. It was just a bunch. It was a lot of intimation, and I really liked this bit. So basically, they dispute the existence of satellites in, for, for, I guess, in geostationary orbit or any sort of orbit around Earth because space doesn't exist. And they go about this in two main ways. One, they say space doesn't exist, so you can't put something there because it's not... It, it doesn't exist. And then they say... Yeah. Did you know that NASA uses balloons... And then they've got a bunch of videos of people whom I assume to be working with NASA 
putting up weather balloons and stuff like that. And then I really like they say, did you know that NASA is the world's biggest consumer of helium? As in, <laughs> that's, that's, the sm- that's the smoking uh-huh. gun. I see. Ah. It just, it's, it's another, another vector in our patchwork of intimations. I'm still not sure where they're pointing, but yeah. But I, think, it, I, think, I think if you have I eyes the, to see or ears to hear, they're not intimations mm, so much mm. as a number of aha moments or light bulb moments. Like, I feel like for a particular kind of viewer, someone who wasn't completely corrupted by primary, secondary, or tertiary education, um, they would just see this film and it would just be like moment after moment of aha, light bulb, heart racing sort of um, revelations. Mm-mm. I'm just not sure why you can't have satellites in orbit and balloons at the same time. Those never struck me as mutually exclusive categories. That, that you can only possibly have one or the other, which seems to be what they're getting at, but they never say it for sure. So I must uh, say, I, comple- I completely didn't understand the point of the balloons. I think I, I did. I yeah, liked I, it, yeah. but I didn't understand it. It goes for a lot of this I mean, movie. The- I I had a good time watching this. I just didn't really understand it. I mean, How about we talk about Tennis Stewart because. Tanner Stewart is one of the highlights of this movie. Tanner Stewart, entrepreneur slash self-made millionaire. He's introduced where you have a bunch of shots of his boats, his expensive cars, his big house, with with those really, really good quality 2009 trap beats playing, thanks to Mm. Odd TV or whatever his name is. Tanner Stewart is wearing a huge black cowboy hat, walking around his large property, and smoking a vape, and oh man, it's it's some powerful masculinity. Yeah, I feel like he was introduced in some way. Okay, it's like if you, if we're making arguments via you know like tribal group status, I think he was basically introduced as a more of a higher status male. To mm, mm. Um, maybe, I don't know, balance yeah, out the he's, tattoo he's artists and the uh, astro theologists. Obviously, high in virtue and someone in whom you should search for how to behave virtuously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, if he wasn't so virtuous, how did he get so many cars? That exactly <laughs> right. Exactly right. <laughs> As I, I really like how there's it's just a, a cavalcade of um of Tanner Stewart's flexes on us about how much money he has. <laughs> it's it, there's this quote where they're talking about how you need the Antarctic ice wall to keep water in, and in the there's a voiceover. It's the deep voice that goes, "Water must be contained," and it cuts to a video <laughs> of his spa. <laughs> So good. I assume it's his spa. His spa. Otherwise, if it's just a video of a spa, that's kind of. I mean, no, I that would make more poetic sense if it was his spa. Yeah, I, I assumed it was his spa, given that everything else being shown was a possession of his. There's something to demonstrate yeah. his virtue and why we should be looking to him for a model of virtue. And then also, but also, he's. He's a real skin-in-the-game kind of guy. I mean, as you need to be as a flat earther because all mm, of your mm, experiments mm. 
you must have skin in the game. You can't you can't trust anything that relies on assumptions or theories. You need to have direct skin in the game. And Tanner Stewart, Tanner Stewart says, I've got a $200,000 something or other challenge, I think, to challenge people to go, I'm not even sure what it is to do, maybe to travel to the Antarctic. And he does say that a few clowns tried it, but they can be... Um, <laughs> wasn't because was, that clown I thought this was in the context of he seemed to be saying I mean I haven't actually looked at what his two hundred thousand dollar globe challenge or whatever it's called is yeah but I assume it has something to do with keeping water on a globe because when he was saying that a few clowns have tried it but no one's managed it they had a video of. Someone, I think this is, you mentioned it before, I think this is where it came up, the video of someone like spraying a hose at a, a globe <laughs> and the water was falling off. So I, I assume from putting together the visual stimuli and the narration that that's part of it. But this is also, the, I'm not sure if this is an exegetically valid technique. If if this is... Mm. Um, no, I... Yeah, I. How about uh, how about is, I, uh, I, I clarify things with a quote from <laughs> from yeah, Tanner Stewart? What if Star Wars is true? What if this extraterrestrial, these extra terrains, they're telling us the truth minus the vacuum of space because they've got to put a Hollywood spin on it? Star Wars, Star Trek. What if you Globers can have your Star Wars and your Star Trek at the same time? Isn't that awesome? How does that make you feel? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's a question. How does that make it's, you feel? Exactly. How does it make you feel? I understand feel the feeling behind it. It's very angry. <laughs> I just don't quite understand the 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 concrete, the the linear aspect of it. Well, I mean, the thing is, because I mean, if if we're to take their epistemology, um. How you feel is a very direct form of evidence. So what you mm, see, mm. what you feel, um, and a feeling doesn't rely on assumptions. So therefore, it's actually perhaps one of the most direct forms of knowledge. Yeah, that's actually, that yeah. makes sense. Actually, it's the <laughs> phenomenology of the flat earth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly I like, like that. Yeah, I th- I'll go with that. <laughs> I would say Tanner Stewart is probably, besides maybe Santos, the most likely to insult the viewer. He's the one who most regularly uses the phrase, it doesn't take a genius to see. By implication, if you disagree with him, you're in no way a genius. Probably much less. Eric DeBay says it it doesn't take a genius to see it a lot. Santos Bonacci is... um, uh, he's a lot more aggressive. Tanner Stewart. He's too busy calling again. Him Stewart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Eddie Bravo, who we don't again, who I think we just get clips of. He's, I would say, maybe the most likely to jump across the table and do you physical harm. Like there's that clip <laughs> where he's arguing with people and he's getting very exercised. I reckon that's interesting that you feel most threatened by him. I would feel most threatened being in an enclosed space with Santos Bonacci. 
Well, see, the thing is with Santos Bonacci, I don't think he's an MMA guy, so I'm not sure he could actually. Mm, that's true. That's true. Do me that much harm? I think he's just like a he's just an astro theologist. I mean, don't get me wrong. Mm. I think he he would be. Yeah, it's hard. To say. He he's probably the least contained. <laughs> but I feel I feel like Eric Debay or Eddie Bravo might have the ability to hurt me more. I, look, I might okay, be so unfair. Uh, uh, Santos yeah. Bonacci might in that in that context. Me. Maybe yeah. So Santos is probably the most likely to engage in unplanned violence, but Eddie Bravo and Eric Debay would be the yeah the most capable of beating the shit out of me. That's, that's 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 a useful heuristic to use. Well, again, if we're going back to feeling, I mean, which way do you yes. want to feel? Do, do, like, like if if you don't believe in a flat Earth theory, you can feel very directly threatened. Whereas yes, if you, I would. If of you, all you, of them, I would globated. most like to hang out with Odd TV. Yeah, yeah. He's, I, I mean, I have a strong preference for hanging out with him if I had to choose. You, you know, actually, you know what's really funny? Um, as soon as I saw Johnny Jumpupper, um, the way he looks, the way he speaks, and this will make no sense to the audience, I'm sorry, but I'll have to say it for Jack's sake, he just reminded me of Kiltro. <laughs> it was just Kiltro. Are you sure he's not Kiltro? Oh, can you give Kiltro a call and ask if he started any flat earth documentaries in 2021? He probably um, wouldn't remember. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a there's a very big overlap between their worldviews, between their haircuts, between their tattoos, between what they probably introduce into their bodies on a daily basis. Mm. Um, Would you anyway, like Kiltro near, near you with a tattoo gun? <laughs> No. <laughs> I only ever saw him for safe reasons, Jack. <laughs> okay. Okay. How about how about how about this? This is from um Tanner Stewart. Here's a fair challenge here. For Neil deGrasse Tyson. Why don't you get off your fat lazy butt and out from behind your screens and your scripts and debate Eric Debay? You've heard the name Eric DeBay, but you're scared. You're chicken shit. You won't debate Eric DeBay because you don't have a script and lines people telling you what to say. You know you'll get demolished. And there are, there are a bunch of tip clips now played of uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson where he's describing the Earth's bulge and the equator and they, they chop them up to make it sound somewhat like he's saying that the Earth is flat. What he's saying is because of the centrifugal force of the Earth spinning... The Earth isn't perfectly spherical. It bulges at the equator. Mm-hmm. And they, they take a bunch of clips of him saying it's like when you spin pizza dough and it flattens. And they do the thing where they repeat his voice saying flat over and over again and slowing yeah, it down and yeah. making it deeper. It's flat, flat, flat. Yeah, actually, that's interesting because there's a number of points before they actually get to naming Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like, he... There's a number of clips of him that appear throughout the film. And I think part of the um, interpretive apparatus that might make sense of the film is that there's, there's, there's sort of like a notion of there's, there's an unreality um, and then there's the people who are trying to perpetrate the unreality. 
but they can't help themselves by letting the mask slip at certain points. So Neil deGrasse Tyson will say certain, who use certain telling phrases. Google will use certain telling phrases. NASA will, the like their 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 green screen technology will will slip sometimes. And so there's 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 I don't want to use the word assumption because I don't deal with assumptions here. But no, let's just, no, 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 for shorthand, no, don't use. Let's use. Let's use the word assumption. Um, they know what I mean. <laughs> um, there's, or rather, okay, no. There's a. There's a. There's an intuition. There's an intuition that every human has that uh, a, a fraud can't be perpetrated forever, and that liars can be seen through, and they'll. They often can't help themselves but give up the truth. Sort of like a um. Like a, a like in popular crime shows where um the uh, the villain always tries to insert himself into the in, into the investigation because you know part mm. of him wants mm. to be caught or part of him just can't help it or maybe he's just arrogant. But that's I think that sort of makes sense. Like there's a whole there's sort of like you know not reading between the lines but reading the right things in the right order. You know if you. <laughs> <laughs> if you get like five minutes of Neil deGrasse Tyson speaking and you, you choose out the right words, but if you have the Gnostic intuitive knowledge to know what those words are. <laughs> Gnostic knowledge. <laughs> the mystic set of flat earthers divining yeah. from Neil deGrasse Tyson YouTube clips the shape of the earth and heavens. <laughs> no, I think, I, think, I think Gnosis is a good way to think about it. Yeah, that's no, that's that's exactly right. Gnosis is really the way to sum up this movie, this movement. Gnosis. Okay, how about this is a pretty weak segue, but how about a quote from someone who's probably not a Gnostic from, from Santos Benacci? Neil disgraced Tyson. You are a lying Jesuit thug and a deceiver. You are a degenerate from hell. Good luck with your lying when you are in hell doing favours for Satan. And remember my name when you're in there, Santos Bonacci. I just love the way he screams his name. It's at the end, Santos Bonacci. He's so angry. This guy is just ready to snap. I mean, I'm glad he's in Mexico. I'm glad. Yeah, he's nowhere where he's nowhere where he could perpetrate a mass shooting and shoot me. Yeah, I mean, I feel slightly less safe for Neil deGrasse Tyson because he's he's close. I'm assuming Neil deGrasse Tyson lives in the United States, but he's closer to Santos Bonacci. But Santos Mm -hmm. Bonacci, once Santos Bonacci makes it across the border, (laughs) Neil deGrasse is in trouble. I mean, Santos Bonacci's really one mean Instagram comment away from shooting someone. <laughs> he's... <laughs> I don't know if he has Instagram. He has Twitter, but I think. at the same time... Maybe he's a, he's a mean that Twitter Santos Bonacci... Away. Yeah, but he... I think with that kind of person, like... I'm not sure that he would be more preoccupied with with um, with um Neil deGrasse Tyson than he would be with the, um, the Eisenhower girl. Because he seems mm. very, very angry with his... um fellow astrologer but not properly predicated astrologer um whatever her name is yeah. Eisenhower. so i mean i feel like he'd be very angry at, at tyson for 
when he's in the moment, he's probably just... There's probably a number of objects to which Santos Panachi's ire is directed. Um, I'm not sure he'd necessarily have the follow-through. So actually, um, a mass shooting probably actually is reasonable because he could get a whole bunch of people at once. Yeah, well, I, I imagine... So in, in a mass shooting, I imagine it'd be the sort of mass shooting where he'd just snap and shoot a bunch of people at a petrol station or something because, like, his... Yeah. Yeah. yeah, like his he he tried to pay card and it didn't go through. I don't think it'd be planned. <laughs> he strikes me as the sort of person who lives in this eternal present of hatred, and the objects of that hatred might might drift. You know, at, at one point it might be Neil deGrasse Tyson. At one point, it might be that Eisenhower woman. But the the hatred is the. The common theme that is the medium within which the within which Santos Bonacci exists. <laughs> I mean, it's a true feeling. Okay. It's a I, true I hope he hears our psychoanalysis of him on the basis of probably in total like ten minutes of interviews with him on a YouTube video. <laughs> and this is what people listen for: <laughs> the most incisive comment, a content that anyone puts out. <laughs> Um, okay, well, look, um, I'll have to go soon because my job starts soon and um, my wife has to come and <laughs> take a bunch of stuff from the, the office. <laughs> I just She's probably I have to give outside one the door waiting, waiting, for me to, waiting for me to get off so she can use her, use her computer. <laughs> I'm just occupying her <laughs> office space. Anyway, but yes, let's, let's wrap up in the next 10 minutes. Okay. But yes, but I'll minute. close up with a quote from the tattoo artist. Hey, Neil. You talk about pears so much, why don't you try eating a few, you fat fuck? And at this point, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Mr. Peroxided Hair, face tattoos, takes a bite out of a pear. I liked this John one. This was, this was a very to-the-point put-down. Eric Debay challenges Neil deGrasse Tyson to come on, to, on Joe Rogan and debate him and then does a mic drop. I assume that Neil deGrasse Tyson said something hurtful about flat earthers and then dropped his microphone and they you know mimetically yep. they are they are imitating this back at him. However, I'm not part of this family drama so I really didn't understand the context. Yeah, part, part of the um I think the last 15 minutes of the film is 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 good. I mean, it's all good. <laughs> but the last 15 minutes of it is particularly good because you get a sense of someone who is very much on the verge of violence and that's sort of mirrored in it. Like like the words get faster. The associations get like more rapid. The mm. um, lapse into just sheer insult, like you fat fuck, get happen. And then, like <laughs> you can just imagine like Santos Bonacci like leaping off the screen and just going at you you know, all fists and haymakers and yeah. um, Eric DeBay coming in and choking you out. and um, <laughs> like, <laughs> But, like, the entire film is, like, the, the I guess the, the film's raison d'etre <laughs> is, 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 is to noticed. set up a, yeah, I mean, besides a, a very um, uh, telling description of what the world's like, is is to set up a one-on-one debate between Eric DeBay and Neil deGrasse Tyson. I mean, that's not clear from the outset, but it's in the last 15 minutes. Um, we sort of get... I, I think that's that was probably the emotional catalyst for the film. Mm. 
It did. It did seem to be the catharsis of the film. Yeah. 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 Mm. And it was cathartic. There was there was a lot of particularly <laughs> Santos Bernardi <laughs> shouting. <laughs> I do. Santos and um, Tanner stole the show. I think they were they were two highlights definitely. Anyway, yeah, I would wrapping I would, up. I would, I would have to agree. Would you recommend this? Um, yes, I would recommend this. Um, it's yeah, I would know, too. I, I I'll put the get... link to this in the um show description. I think the link to the YouTube yeah. movie. Yeah, it's 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 one hour. It's very um poetic. It's very aggressive. There's a lot of fun images. Um, you know, there's a lot of images we haven't gotten to, like the bit where mm. like there's images of like someone swallowing a NASA pill and stuff like that. Anyway, it's all awesome. <laughs> but I, I'm afraid I do have to stop. <laughs> so um, I bid uh, farewell to our guests and fellow uh, <laughs> flat earthers. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Mm. Highly recommended. Yeah. <laughs>